Hello and welcome to Curiously Polar. My name is Chris Marquardt and with me, as usual, is Henry Paul. Good morning. A wonderful good morning. How are you this morning? I'm good. I, ho I hope I will be good for the rest of the day. I just came back for my from my vaccination, my shots. It's always fun, isn't it? Oh, both arms this time. I have to Great. I have to refresh a few things for for all the travel I do next year. So yeah, the the, the anti deniers vaccination. <laughs> no, this is this is this is important. So I'd rather. Oh, the anti denier vaccination is not important. The what? The anti deniers vaccination is not important for you. Oh, the anti oh oh the anti vaccination deniers vaccination. Okay, yes. um, yeah, I, I'm I'm already uh, proof in that in that area. <laughs> So we have another episode from that you brought from the Arctic Circle Assembly, um, probably the last one in our little series. Uh, everyone who hasn't listened to the other episodes just yet, um, we start those at episode 72 with Peter Wadams, then Anja Sommerfeld of the Mosaic Expedition, episode 73. Episode 74 is Sarah Oswick about indigenous people in the Arctic. And 75, this one is about a keynote that you attended there. Indeed, a very impressive uh, keynote. wasn't expected to be um, that striking. So um, I'm, I'm really glad that um, we have the chance to put that into um, a single episode because I actually think that the content of that keynote is um, worth talking about it um, a lot of the perception has changed. And that's um, a general impression from the 2019 Arctic Circle Assembly that um, the tonality has sharpened. So the, the vocabulary, the words, the phrases have been um, yeah, more striking, more, um, yeah, more sharp than they used to be. And all the panels and sessions and the talks of participants that didn't talk about climate change and global warming anymore, but rather about climate crisis, climate emergencies, global heating. So there, there is a huge um, um, uh, common ground that talking about climate change sounds much too passive and way too gentle for what actually is happening so we are facing um, a catastrophe for humanity, and that's based on the scientific results. Um, so the, the research of the past years has shown very clearly where we're leading to. And that's something that you can see in all the, the speeches uh, throughout the whole um, event, that this has been clearly formulated um, from now on. So everybody changed the tonality from climate change to uh, climate crisis. And that's, uh, I found that very interesting. So um, that's the keynote by John John Kerry. Kerry. Oh yes, John I Kerry, to who that. <laughs> among, among uh, other things was, uh, I think, from 2013 to 2017, he was Secretary of State. Indeed, uh, has a long a long political career. Yeah, he's uh, a long-standing politician in the states, and um, he received uh, a prize, the Arctic Circle Award, which um, is yearly awarded. And he received them from uh, the former Icelandic president, uh, Oliver Ragnar Grimsson, and uh, he received it for his leadership on climate change. And he gave a very striking uh, keynote speech. And he started with a very personal story about he perceived the impacts of climate change in person on a trip to Antarctica. And I would say, just let's have a listen to that. Uh, the uh, first-hand impact of climate change that was being described to me by the 
what, nearly 20-plus scientists from each of 20-plus countries that go there to do research chilled me in terms of, beyond the cold, in terms of uh, what we're facing. I was at ground zero for climate change at McMurdo Station. And as I listened to these scientists from all over the world and looked at chart after chart where they traced what has been happening, describing the latest deeply alarming evidence of what is going on, uh, I was genuinely scared. How do you translate this into a language that the average citizen can understand and connect to? I flew by helicopter over the great West Antarctic ice sheet, which now people say is threatened to perhaps break off or slide down and go off into the ocean to melt. I learned how the warmer water is spilling over the continental shelf and churning below the ice and creating instability in it. Uh, I walked out under the Ross Sea ice sheet and looked out towards the ocean. Uh, and the researchers did not mince their words. A scientist from New Zealand named Gavin Dunbar uh, described what they're seeing as an unmistakable canary in the coal mine. And he warned that some thresholds, if we cross them, cannot be reversed. Yeah, and that's very interesting. He actually um, he just gave the, the this personal um, insight of his experiences to Antarctica. He introduced that with um, saying that he went out on the very election day um, of the last election in the US and he found it more important to go down to Antarctica on his last mission as uh, Secretary of State rather than um, just place his vote um, on location. So he um, he voted in advance and just went down to Antarctica. And when he's talking about that, you can feel how uh, how how much that experience impressed him, and how how much he actually realized. And that's what we're talking about on that podcast over and over again. Is um, when you go there on location, when you are in the field. Oh, because because we have seen some of these things. Exactly, we see that, and and suddenly everything comes clear, and everything makes sense. And that's why I love this job so much. Just bringing the people there, bringing them on location. And just showing them what they theoretically know, but what doesn't make any sense or any change in their daily life. When they're up there, they see it. And uh, hearing that from a top uh, politician, from a top administrative, is uh, has a has a different impact than uh, from two nerds of us um, inspired by polar regions and going there. So that was a very striking moment for me to to see um, how his voice broke when he was just talking about the charts he saw, about the data, about undeniable facts, which are just uh, released by a number of scientists. It's not one person um, ringing an alarm bell and saying the world is doomed. It's a number of scientists. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's the majority of scientists. It's the vast majority. We, we have a big consensus that the climate is changing and that we are facing a very serious situation here. On the other hand, there still are a lot of um, deniers out there. And um, when we go through the entire speech, he also tackles that topic. But I would love to come back a little later because what we see um, right now are two major trends in the Arctic. And one is um, the climate change and, it, and uh, its effects and the widening and deepening of Arctic interests both within 
the region. And uh, he, he made in his speech very, very clear that there's no debate about the fact on climate change. And he was, um, after he went to Antarctica, also pointing out what happened in the Arctic and how that actually developed. And I would say, just let's go in there as well. The Arctic is warming faster today than any other region on Earth. There are places in the Arctic where today it's already at two degrees. And temperatures are increasing more than twice the rate of the global average. It was above freezing in the Arctic last year in February. And the Arctic is melting now four times faster than it was 10 years ago. We had the hottest July we've ever had in measurable human history. We had the hottest single day in July that we've ever had in human history. And this July contributed to the hottest year in human history, which is part of the hottest decade in human history. And the decade before that was the second hottest. And the decade before that was the third hottest. And you'd think that people who see this and what is happening would have an understanding of the urgency of public people coming together in order to do what we said we would do in Paris, what we fought to do even in Rio, where I was, or in Kyoto, where I was, or all of the other negotiations we have had through the years. The ability of future generations to be able to adapt and live and prosper in the Arctic in the way that people have for thousands of years is in jeopardy as we gather here. Now, over the last three decades, both the increase in temperature and the corresponding decrease in ice observed in the Arctic are at an unprecedented level, at least in the 1,500 years that we're capable of measuring. We're still struggling with black carbon emissions, which most of you here have seen with your own eyes. A pollutant that is up to 2,000 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Everybody knows this dark soot that collects on the surface of the snow, which is visible to the, to the eye, has covered sea ice as well. And what happens is, is it, it's dark, attracts the sunlight, contains the heat, melts, forms a blanket over the ice. And guess what? It doesn't take a PhD to know that the combination of heat and ice produces melting. Pretty fundamental. But we have 130 climate deniers in the United States Senate. We have a president of the United States who wants to tell people it is a Chinese hoax. My friends, uh, we have to face facts. I had a colleague in the United States Senate called Daniel Patrick Moynihan, distinguished UN representative and senator from New York, and he had a famous saying. He said, everybody is entitled to their own opinion but you are not entitled to your own facts. And one of the challenges we face in democracies across this planet today is the fact that there's no, there's no baseline of truth anymore. There's no referee for that truth anymore. People can lie, and they do. As Mark, Mark Twain once said, a lie can travel halfway around the world before the truth even gets its boots on. But now, a lie can travel around the world with the push of a button. And it does. So, if we want to know where the problem is, we have to look in the mirror. Here we are. We know what the science tells us to do. 
and yet we're still struggling. It's a it's a very um, very alarming. It's um, a wake up call. It is. It is. And what's a bit unreal for me is to see a, a former foreign minister, secretary of state, a top government official, really in particular mentions the political leadership allied as a fundamental problem of this uh, non-occurring solution. And this is something that I haven't experienced in, in, in that uh, urgency yet. So just hearing um, this former Secretary of State on stage and just seeing that he's addressing not only very clear what's going wrong in the US Senate, but on a global scale, but there is no consensus in the political elite. Everybody knows that there is something going on, but what kind of measures we have to take, that's a different um, debate. And that's something that was um, really um, compelling to me to see how um, passionate John Kerry um, talked about those certain problems in, in, in particular. And um, going even a little bit fur further, um, we we see that this fast escalating climate crisis um, never has been worded in such a dramatic tone at, um, at this year's assembly, not only with Jim Carrey, but in all the speeches. Scientist after scientist, they entered the stage and they presented their facts and scenarios, which in some painted a picture of a word heading towards a doomsday, Ragnarok, the old Nordic mythology, a destructions of the world. We are move on, moving uh, towards a tipping point off the Greenland ice sheet. We can see the facts there that will have a huge impact on the Atlantic Ocean circulation and by that of all the ocean's circulations. The permafrost in the entire north is about to melt, likely to cause even greater releases of, of methane. And while carbon dioxide is described as having a warming effect akin to, to, to wrapping the planet into uh, in a sheet, methane released from the Arctic permafrost is more likely wrapping the planet in a wool blanket. It's much, much more effective. It's not staying as long as the atmosphere, but the effect of methane is much, much bigger. And seeing that formulated in a speech, that clearly, that's um, something outstanding. Um, I, yeah, also, I also find it interesting because, uh, of course, John Kerry does have a different role on a conference like this than than the scientists um, where as as many scientists will present the facts this is what we found this is what this could lead to this is what is likely to happen um, and then hand it off to like politicians like him right and say okay now you have to do something about it this is why we have paris and so on um, while he can he can attack this from a completely different side and he's doing it and um, I appreciate even, that. even him being part of that, he's not part of a um, of a official uh, position in, in in the administration anymore. Yes. But he still addresses it. He's fighting for it, and you can see that he is really bothered about an administration in his own country, which is part of a denial fraction in in terms of that um, um, environmental issue we face. And what I find interesting is, and that's probably the, the next piece that we just uh, should have a listen in, that he calls on to the politicians to take the right um, decisions here. There is no lack of solutions or technologies. We, we have them already ready. It's only a failure of governance in the energy policy, he says. And just let's have a listen how he takes it. So, folks, we know the arguments. We know the facts. We know the issues. Uh, and I think that uh, we have to recognize that, that, that uh, 
whether we break out of this procrastination, which is not your proclivity, I know it, but it's just there. We can't wait around for everybody else to do it. We have to all do it ourselves and now. I think we're staring at the greatest opportunity we ever had. That's the argument I made in Paris. There is a solution to climate change, correct? The solution is energy policy. And by and large, we have most of the tools, not all. We still have baseload challenges. We still have to figure out battery storage. The person who is the next Sergey Brin or Bill Gates who comes up with 25, 30 days of battery storage, we won the battle. Game over the minute that happens. But there are all kinds of other things we can do. Different fuels yet to be discovered. Maybe hydrogen can be brought to scale and be safe. Maybe fusion will finally be the dream that comes across the line. But it'll never happen if we don't put Russia, China, U.S., France, Germany, Britain, Finland, all the European countries together in a huge challenge, like going to the moon or inventing the Internet. That's what we have to do now. And you can see he's campaigning. He's really in uh, in a rush. He's really um, running for that to happen. We see we don't have much time left, and he is really on the forefront there. And that's something that's really um, yeah, interesting to see. Do you know what the possibilities are that he has? How much leverage does he have? Does he? I mean, I suppose he still has an in in a lot of the different agencies, but. Um, He, he, he can't really decide things. He can only campaign for them at this point. Or yeah, and, that, and that's what he's doing. Um, he, he's really um, putting up new, um, uh, yeah, new strikes to, to, to tackle that topic. He's tried to, com uh, to, to uh, yeah, combine forces and to go there. But he's still um, active in, in the U.S. politics. Um, if I'm if I'm informed correctly, he's running um, as a candidate for uh, the Democrats for the 2020 um, election. So there still are chances for for him to have an active um, impact. And to be fair, he had a, a huge and long career, so he has a broad network. He knows a lot of people, and that brings in a big lever on on his um, accord to to um, reach a, a bigger goal. He is very, very well connected, and that's something that will come up a little later in his speech when he's talking about um, how he tries to get all of those um, important players from uh, science and economy and politics on one table to find uh, a joint solution. But however, uh, what we also see in that speech is um, he is getting back to the a climate agreement from Paris. But he, however, also warns very, very clearly that only the compliance with the climate change agreement is not enough. So just fulfilling the, um, the, the, the accords the countries agreed on in Paris won't save us from a future development. And that's, um, he, he tackled that very, very clearly in the next snippet. And this is the argument I made in Paris. I said to the delegates, nobody should leave Paris believing that we have guaranteed the world that we are keeping global climate change rise to two degrees, let alone 1.5. Because we're not. And that's why I, I bristle a little bit when I hear everybody say, well, we've got to get back to Paris. Yeah, we do. But that's not enough. 
If we did everything that is contained in the plans put forward in Paris, we are still at 3.7 degrees centigrade increase. And in fact, we're not only not going to do that, we are heading today, if you do business as usual today forward, we're heading to four to four and a half degrees right now. That is very scary numbers. It is, but it's numbers which are not, um, it, it, it's nothing new. This is in the papers, it's in the studies. That's what scientists are talking about for years. And we try still to keep the big numbers up and we try to think that what our politicians, our representatives of the states we're living in uh, have agreed on is the solution. It's, we think that's what, what's, what's saving us. It makes our conscience easier because we just give that responsibility to others. And what he's basically saying is that this is not enough. This is not reaching the goal. We are not fulfilling that if we don't take action our own. And that's very, very interesting for, for me to see um, in that clarity from a former Secretary of State. He um, goes even further. Um, he, he paints a really, really big picture about the possibility. So he has, in his speech, uh, had a uh, kind of a, um, a red line. He found the peak in, in just describing what's really, really scary. But in the end, he also came up with a very positive outlook. Um, even though we have a lot of climate deniers that have declared war on science facts, then we must declare war on those who oppose those facts. That's his point of view. That's his standing. And we are just asking, um, is John Kerry then probably for the elderly generation what Greta uh, Thunberg is for the youngsters? Can he become like the leader from a from a political background, the leader of a movement towards um, climate change initiatives? So he declares in his speech a World War Zero, which would include other senior American politicians, including former California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger and former head of the American Environmental Protection Agency, Christine uh, with him. Um, he tries to get all of them together on one table to enroll a new initiative to enlist other major powers to the urgency of the crisis on a, on a global level. So let's listen to the next bit. Think of this also. U.S. is 15% of all emissions. China's 25% of all emissions. Europe's about 14% of all emissions. Put it together, you're well over 50%, close to 60. Just three of us on this planet. When you add the rest of the G20, you're up to almost all emissions, most of them. 130 nations, 138 nations, are all below 1.1%. In fractions. So 20 nations could have come to New York a week ago with the right leadership and upped their ante for next year. Could have upped the goals for the negotiation that will take next year. But it didn't happen. No wonder citizens are suspicious of us. No wonder kids are striking. No wonder you're going to see people marching, getting arrested, shutting down communities. Because they're demanding the fundamentals of politics everywhere, that the people in charge respond to the felt needs of a nation. 
So I thank you profoundly for this, but I'll tell you what I'm about to do. I'm going to be announcing a new effort, uh, which is going to try to marry the top roots and the grassroots. And I've enlisted uh, the former governor of California, who did a lot on climate, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I've enlisted Christine Todd Whitman, the former governor of New Jersey and the head of our EPA, and Ernie Moniz, the energy, former energy secretary of our country. And we've got admirals and generals and former national security personnel and scientists. And we are going to start an effort that communicates to our country with other leaders in other countries managing their countries in an effort called World War Zero. The effort to globally recognize there's only a world solution to this. War, because I'll tell you what, the purveyors of doubt and lies and distortion have declared war on common sense and science. And we need to fight back in order to do this just like we did in World War II when we decided we had to win. There's a book out by Paul Kennedy, a professor at Yale, called Engineers of Victory. It talks about the four or five key decisions that had to be made to win. We need to make decisions like that with the automakers, with the utilities, with the public builders. Bring them into the places of leadership and build the response that the people of the world rightfully demand from their leaders. Please don't tell me this is impossible because it is not impossible. Nelson Mandela used to say that they always say it's impossible until it is done. Remember also what Muhammad Ali said. Impossible is not a fact. It is an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration. It is a dare. So my friends, this meeting here in Iceland and every meeting we have after this must be taken as a dare. Every single one of us has to make the impossible, not just possible, but make it inevitable. <laughs> I find it really interesting that he's using the the very strong language, the term, the term war, which I think, of course, is a very American thing because they have the war on everything, the war on drugs, the war on opioid crisis, the war on... So I think, I think to get the ear from, of the right people, the people who have to think of this. I think he has to use this kind of strong language. It's also the, the, the perception in, in the US when you um, go through the US media, it is a war on facts. It's a war on opinion. You can see that through all the media outlets um, uh, across the country. And if the administration is um, putting oil to the fire and um, is playing one of those sides very, very clearly, then Of course, you need a strong language to um, to oppose that, and that's what I find here very uh, interesting is that he's not only using the the, the term war, but he's de um, he, he's declaring it a World War Zero, which is kind of the turning point of um, our future. And and by making by by using that term World War, he puts it on a on a really big scale. So I I think he says there, there is only a world solution to a world problem. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, we, we completely agree on this one, and uh, using and the according summary, language, I think, is is, is going to help to drive it to drive it home with people. And just having the summary in the beginning of that snippet, where he just um, just summarized uh, how much of the emissions are just gathered by three 
areas by three big groups, the US, China and Europe, and then put another um, 17 countries on that, the G20, just really uniting the the vast majority of those emissions. We always tell, um, we say, yo, those um, uh, development countries, Africa, blah, blah, blah. It's just complete nonsense. If you look at the facts, this has nothing to do with reality. So if we want to do a change, especially in a in a big um, compound like Europe, we can make a difference. And if we take the lead here, if we take politically and in our actions the lead on change those uh, criteria, then other big players like the US, like China, will follow. Because it's not only an environmental impact, and that's something that John Kerry um, points out very clearly in his speech, it's an economical impact. If you change something, you are leading a new economical revolution. And this is something that the other countries will be really scared of. If you have something like the European Union leading its way there, then China will be the first reacting. Because they are just scared of losing their stake they have right now in the world. And this is really interesting to see how he connects those dots and tries to to find um, a trigger, an incentive for those decision makers to make the right decisions, to join that. Oh, and and uh, and the, and the economy is what caused this in the first place. So linking Indeed. it linking it back to economy, but not as a as a um, as a finger that's pointing at the economy, but as an invitation for the economy to uh, to to gain from it. Exactly, he's really putting everything together and just um, invites every involved party um, to work on a solution. But he also plays the ball to the general audience to the voters and he says very very clear climate change is a voting issue and he makes it the voting issue in the united states in the past election there was a 19 percent turnaround among young voters that's that's not enough there needs to be a bigger involvement so if we are uh, concerned about our future we have to take the right decisions and the right vote in here and uh, he's pointing that very clearly let's have a listen to that so the whole targeting of World War Zero is to take a con- my country, at any rate, and hopefully others will take their countries, to make sure that people who are voting are voting for the future, are voting on the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's, he's, he's really there playing the ball. It's, it's uh, decision makers, of course, who are in charge, but they are endorsed by the people. And this is very, very important for us to understand. We see um, students are striking. They're just um, taking a day off and just going on onto the streets and just protesting for for what what concerns them. So we have to take that challenge as well. We have to make our decisions right here as well and have to have a look what is the most important topic right now. And the most important topic is definitely an environmental topic because that it's just radiating out into every other branch that affects our lives. And if we don't see that now, we will face very, very bad consequences. And we can see that when we see governments like Trump administration, when we see um, administrations like uh, Russians, Putin uh, administration, where the climate effort in, in in the far north doesn't play a role at all. We can see it in a 
in a, in a Brexit debate in, in the UK, where we see very, very clearly that this is not a, um, the pathway that leads to a solution for that very, very major environmental issue. This is this is this this whole series on on the uh, on the Arctic Circle Assembly is a very eye-opening series. I'm really, I'm really happy that you took the step to go there. Yes, it's, it's, it was very interesting to just uh, join those different panels and sessions and, and speeches. It was really really interesting to connect with um, uh, those different participants because what's coming together there is not just it's not a science conference is. It's bringing together people living in the uh, in the Arctic, people working in the Arctic, people people researching in the Arctic, and governing the Arctic. So it's really all stakeholders brought together from all parts of the Arctic, and that was really really interesting um, to see how all of that comes together and how they communicate with each other. And of course, everybody has their own take and own opinion on how to react on that climate crisis. But nobody denies there is one. And that was, again, very interesting to see that we have a very, very small fraction of people in the world out there who is denying that. Mostly the people who have not been to the Arctic and haven't seen it firsthand. Exactly. They just say, what does it matter to me in Minnesota or wherever? And it's, it does. It's just, <laughs> it, it does. But pointing that out, and that's actually what um, John Kerry is calling out in his speech, um, takes a major effort. And this effort is just put under this um, label World War Zero because he needs to, to, to get those um, news out. He needs to, to, to grant the understanding of a broad audience that whatever happens up there, it affects us down wherever we are. And this is very, very important for the next steps. At the end of his speech, he makes very, very clear that the effort does not have to emanate from the politicians, but must include every single one of us. And that's a very nice um, closing um, part of the speech. If there's anything that's important, I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, but it's you. You. Everybody's got to be a citizen here, global citizen national citizen, hold people accountable. It's up to us to hold the politicians accountable. We can't let them fake it or avoid it. And and that's the measure here. And that's very, very, very important yes. for us to understand. It's our decision. It's our pledge. That's the good thing on democracy. It's not the perfect uh, system to run something in. It's the best we have. And the best we have in that system is our vote, is our voice. So it's up on us. I think that's a good place to close out this episode. Heavy stuff. Uh, we have links in the show notes to uh, the, the full keynote speech. It's up on YouTube. Uh, also the Q&A after it. So um, if you want to get the whole picture, I urge everyone to have a look. And if, if this episode stirred something up in you, then by all means share it. Uh, let other people hear this as well because um yeah this is a really really important uh issue this is the issue right now it is indeed and if you if you want to share with us please uh, feel free to send us an email um just contact us on twitter or wherever just let us know what your thoughts are yes you'll find you'll find every every way to contact us on curiouslypolar.com and we are also curiously polar on twitter and um that concludes the arctic circle assembly special thanks again uh, henry for 
for taking the time and talking to people and bringing bringing back all that information and all the recordings. Uh, this was um, pretty eye-opening. So thank you so much.